Hey friends, if you wish you weren't hearing an ad right now, then straight after you listen to this episode, head over to watchnebula.com slash not overthinking with a little hyphen thing in between the not and the overthinking. So watchnebula.com slash not dash overthinking. Through Nebula, you'll firstly get access to all of our podcast episodes ad-free. Secondly, you'll see exclusive content from me and a load of other educational-ish creators. And thirdly, it directly supports this podcast. So you'll incentivize me and Tame to record more episodes. My name is Ali. I'm a doctor and YouTuber. I'm Taymor. I'm a data scientist and writer. And you're listening to Not Overthinking, the weekly podcast where we think about happiness, creativity, and the human condition. How long was that? So you're starting us off. Oh, like half a second. Cool. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Not Overthinking. Ali, how are you doing this week? Oh, mate, I, I actually want to start off by having a good old moan, a good whine about some stuff that's on my <laughs> that's on my plate and on my mind. Oh, mate, I've got I've got like a ton of things I want to moan about as well. Uh, but wait, bef- bef- oh, yeah. before <laughs> before we get into that, why don't you tell the lovely listeners about our sponsor this week? Oh, yeah, we've, we've got a sponsor this week. Um, this week's sponsor is Skillshare. Skillshare is a fantastic online learning community with thousands of classes from all sorts of topics ranging from videography, photography, creativity, cooking, you know, how to do knitting, all, all some like how to, how to write, all these like really cool things. It's basically a monthly subscription for less than $10, $10 a month. Uh, you can get access to an unlimited number of thousands of these classes. Uh, a class that I would recommend personally is my friend Thomas Frank's new class on habit formation. Uh, I was watching that the other day, actually, Tamor, and um, there were some, actually some, some, some really good takeaways from that that I've started to implement in my own life, which is partly one of the things that I want to have a good old whine about in this episode. Oh, nice. um, alter- alternatively, if you're feeling like you want to be a YouTuber, uh, people listening to this, you should definitely check out my own uh, video editing in Final Cut Pro Skillshare class, where I take you through my entire process for video editing. Um, basically how to be a YouTuber from beginner to pro. Um, but yeah, Skillshare is fantastic. Uh, less than $10 a month. If you want to get a free trial for two months, you can go to www.skillshare.com forward slash not overthinking. That's skillshare.com forward slash not overthinking. And in that two months, you can sample any or all of the classes that you like. And like I said, less than $10 a month. So, you know, why not learn something new in the new year and learn a new skill and stuff on Skillshare? How was that? Was that all right? That sounded really good. Yeah, that sounded great. Uh, very engaging. I hope it has a high conversion rate so they continue to sponsor us. <laughs> um, what 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 did you want to whine about this week? Let's start with you, let's start with your woes. Right. So I feel like I <laughs> and I don't think I've ever used that phrase before in my life. And I'm somewhat I'm I'm saying it only partially <laughs> ironically and only partially partially facetiously. But it's because you know last weekend was so chill, right? We went to the Codswalls, we had a good time. But then like Monday, Tuesday. Wednesday I was working like very long hours at work and doing various things after work and then Thursday I was supposed to have a day off but my day off ended up being doing four hours of communication skills teaching four hours of physiology supervisions like in the afternoon and evening and then in the morning I had to spend like six hours preparing for these things because I hadn't prepared for them before because I was working so I was basically working all of Thursday and then Friday Saturday Sunday Sundays today I've been doing like Waking up at half six in the morning, driving to work, getting into work at eight 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 a.m., and then leaving work at like nine nine thirty p.m., getting home at ten thirty p.m., and then having to sleep so I can repeat the process again. And Mate. and so literally, like it's in the last That's three awful. days, I've I've done like I don't know forty two hours or something of kind of being at work, and like closer to fifty hours if you include commute time. And tomorrow is supposed to be day off as well, because when we when we work these kind of 36 hours on the weekend or whatever it is, uh, we get the Thursday off and the Monday off. So Thursday, I was basically teaching for the whole time. 
But then tomorrow, I've got a freaking videographer coming in, professional videographer uh, at 9 a.m. to do like a whole day shoot where we're shooting a ton of B-roll and we're doing like an apartment tour video. And then halfway through the day, I have to drive an hour to Ely to meet up with this guy who's helping coach the business. So we're going to film some B-roll shots at his place. And it's just like a very, very full-on day tomorrow. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, work again. And I just feel like I've been worked to the bone. <laughs> so this is like oh, this is like a real problem in my life. And then yesterday, <laughs> I, 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 I left work a little bit late because it was just like super, super busy. Because like normally when we're on call... It's not too bad, right? Because there are moments of intensity and then there's moments of respite. But it was just been completely sort of one thing after another after another to the point where I had to spend like half an hour to an hour at the end of the day kind of finishing off my discharge letters and stuff like that. Um, and so I ended up being like, you know what? I'm going to get a McDonald's on the way home. So I got a McDonald's on the way home yesterday. And then today I was like, you know what? I'm going to get a McDonald's <laughs> on the way home. <laughs> so even though I had dinner at work at like 6 p.m., I got a McDonald's <laughs> on the way home and I'm here I am with, you know, half a barbecue sauce in my hand, uh, half a chip, like cold chips in my hand, you know, this like bloody glass of Coke with ice that's gone dilute in my hand <laughs> and thinking, what the hell is life? <laughs> and it reminds wow. me of, of the whole kind of, you know, good habits is about environment design. And I should just take a different route home from work that doesn't pass through the McDonald's or have better self-control. But Dude, that, that sounds really, yeah, that that sounds was... really, really bad. <laughs> <laughs> that was the moment i wanted to have i think that's a pretty justified <laughs> moment i guess I don't know, it's good hustle though i mean i guess that's what it takes to kind of do all the things you care about doing but like i think it's fine i think it's good when like when so for example tomorrow morning like this guy's coming over so you have to be up at nine and like you know on thursday you had the supervision so like you had to do the thing i think it's nice when you have something that like forces you to uh to basically not wallow and actually just like get off your ass <laughs> because yeah i find that like if i've had a few days of like you know, working quite late, not doing anything particularly fun. And uh, then like the next morning, I might be like, oh, you know, what is life? Uh, and I might kind of wallow a little bit and maybe get up a bit later than usual for no reason. Uh, but if I have like a call or a meeting at like 9am, then it kind of just forces me to get out. And, one, and once you're actually doing the stuff you don't mind, it's just like the in-between where you have a chance to feel a bit sorry for yourself and uh, where you're maybe recording a podcast uh, where people are happy to listen to you moan for a bit. That's when you can like, <laughs> uh, yeah, get the, get the sort of satisfaction from moaning. <laughs> but when you're actually doing the stuff, presumably you're happy with it. Uh, I don't know, actually, because I'm not really one to just kind of lie there and wallow. Uh, it's just not part of my MO. Instead, I would just like to not be chronically oh, okay. deprived. <laughs> <And> so, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm thinking that, oh, we're recording this podcast. It's 11 p.m. already. If we finish the podcast by midnight... It's a Sunday, therefore I need to write my weekly email newsletter, which always takes at least half an hour to an hour. So if I get to sleep at one, and this is going to be another night where I have like six hours of sleep because I have to actually wake up early to clean the house tomorrow so that when this videographer arrives, who I'm paying like 500 quid for the day, we're not, I'm not wasting time having to clean the house in the morning because I feel like I should do that when he's yeah. not on the clock. But that's just like, you know. Anyway, what about you? <laughs> my, my moans are that uh, I have a cold. Uh, I, I'm sure you can tell from my voice. It's uh, yeah, it's, we're cold. You've got yeah. the coronavirus. We've left the European Union. That's obviously a big, a big part of your yeah. So I, I <laughs> all the difficulties. So I, I just got back well. from China, and uh, <laughs> 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 um, no, yeah, I've, I've had a cold for the past couple of days. My voice is very kind of uh, more nasally than usual. I have a sore throat, all that kind of stuff. So I kind of feel a bit sorry for myself on on that front. But more more worryingly than that, uh, I have I've had a uh, a bout of back pain for the past two days that i've never that i've never had no. before and it's just not going away um and i it's just like constant pain it's not like pain that you get used to 
It's like somewhere in between dull pain and sharp pain. And yeah, just for the past two days, I have this back pain. I'm seeing a physio on Tuesday now. Um, but yeah, that's it's it's quite concerning. But it's forced me to start doing like posture exercises. And so yesterday I had like a YouTube video on uh, last night and I was kind of doing these posture exercises before bed and I'll be doing it again today. But I'm, I'm genuinely very worried about my back and my neck. Uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. So, uh, can you uh, tell me more about this back pain? Uh, really? Does anyone want to hear about this? Yeah, genuinely. No, no, no I'm curious. Yeah, it's a, sort of my lower back on the right-hand side. Yeah, just hurts. <laughs> okay, and uh, did it come on suddenly or I th- did basically, you I think, really notice it when it came? No, no, it started after I woke up one morning like three days ago. Oh, okay. Uh, I, w- I was going to do a whole spiel about, you know, trying try to be like, and how do, how do you rate the pain out of 10? But I realized oh, okay. that no one actually cares. Yeah, I don't think anyone cares. So why do we why do we actually get started with the podcast? Uh, so, yeah, what are we uh, talking about? So this week, I thought we'd go through uh, my Kindle highlights from a uh, a book that I read. Uh, not too you long read a ago. book? Uh, I, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty insane. Uh, I think I, I think I've been milking this book for probably the last sort of three or four months of podcasts. This is like <laughs> every time I say, "Oh yeah, I'm reading a book," it's it's this one. Um, but uh, bef- so before we get into this, uh, we did a book review. We, we did a sort of like a, a book review, book kind of highlight discussion uh, a few weeks ago. Um, and I think there was a couple of things we wanted to clarify. So we got we got like, a, a couple of I think very uh, reasonable and thoughtful comments uh, about. Uh, so we were talking about the the book, the, the courage to be disliked, um, and. I think, yeah, one thing that we didn't really make very clear was that the discussion that we were having and our sort of takeaways from the book, uh, it wasn't any attempt at, like, making scientific claims or factual claims. Uh, And so there were points in the discussion where the the book proposes statements like, there is no such thing as trauma. And uh, in in the episode, we kind of just went with that. We were like, yeah, there's no such thing as trauma. Um, we were approaching it from a standpoint of like that could be a helpful framing of like looking at things that could be a helpful mindset to have when approaching certain things in life obviously like as a medical and scientific concept we know there is such thing as trauma uh, and so things like that uh, and so thank you to um the listener who messaged us to to, to mention that because i think that is very important to mention and so in general when we're talking about almost anything i think one of the common threads of this podcast is that it's really more about framing. It's more about frames than it is about facts. Uh, so if, yeah, any any kind of statement. Yeah, I think that there are very few things that the two of us are actually qualified to speak about uh, in terms of like truth claims. Uh, the book discussion we had a couple of weeks ago was not one of those things. Uh, well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you when one of those things does come up, but assume that uh, it's not <laughs> until otherwise. Assume stated. that we're essentially speaking straight from our urethras uh, whenever we're doing this podcast. And I guess, uh, yeah, we should like in, instead of society and culture, we should submit our podcast to the post-truth era uh, podcast rankings. Yeah, that's essentially exactly. what we're saying. <laughs> yeah. There is nothing um, that we say is true. It, it's it kind of reminds me of that. Is it is it is it Einstein who said that? Whoever it was that said that. Uh, all models are false, but some models are useful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, the stuff we talk about is sort of models by which to to maybe navigate the world. Um, so apologies for uh, the episode a few weeks ago. We did not mean to uh, make any scientific or, or sort of factual claims about that stuff. But, but actually, on that note, um, I fully agree with with the point that the, the listener made, was that which was that we should have kind of made... The, sort of uh, made this nuance more clear when we we're doing the episode but just kind of separately as a as a general point 
I feel like uh, it's. I feel like a lot of times when we're trying to figure out kind of the nature of reality or whatever, um, there is always the response of "Yeah, but what about child abuse?" or "Yeah, but what about the sexual assault survivors?" or "Yeah, but what about the Nazis?" Like these, like extreme examples of things that. I don't know. I feel like when people put those into the argument, it it, it almost shuts down any, any any and all discourse on it because then you have to be like, yeah, okay, fine. I, I accept that there are edge cases where this is, this is not the case, blah, blah, blah. But uh, I, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about the fact that those are always arguments that you could make against any sort of, any, any sort of framing, uh, if, you, if you get what I mean. Uh, yeah, and, and I agree. And I think like the, the sort of... Ed, yeah, highlighting edge cases is usually not useful to most discussions. Um, uh, but I think in this case, in this case, there are like edge. Like we were talking about something. Yeah, I you know, think for we example, were the about word, edge cases the, word here. Yeah, the, yeah. the word trauma has a meaning that most people are used to, and so, mm. like in those, yeah, in those cases where it's like, uh, where it could be confused as you know, these guys are actually talking about factual stuff. I think it is definitely worth pointing out that we're not. Yeah, no, fair enough. Um, and I think like a similar a similar thing could be a, a similar uh, what's 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 the word um, claim in a way could be levied against the stoicism philosophy, which is that the only two things in our control are our own thoughts and our own actions. And if you say if you say that to the right person, then they're going to be like, well, obviously, you know, some people can't control their thoughts. What about OCD? And you're like, oh, okay, fine. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, I just. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I definitely I, I agree that sort of the highlighting edge cases, may, you know, you can do it to almost anything and it kind of derails the discussion. It kind of shuts things down. Um, but I think this was worth pointing out. In this yeah, case. no, absolutely. I agree. I agree in this case. It was it was very reasonable. We should have been more nuanced about it. Anyway, what are we actually talking about today? So I have a bunch of highlights from my Kindle uh, about a book called The Wright Brothers by David McCulloch. Uh, the Wright Brothers were the people who most people agree uh, invented the first sort of uh, airplane, essentially. Uh, and this is a biography uh, about them. And so I'm going to read various highlights. And I, I highlight lots of things because they were sort of meaningful to me at the time. And this was a few months ago. Uh, but I think it's worth visiting all of these and talking about why I thought they were meaningful. So they're the right brothers. And I guess, you know, given this discussion, we are the wrong brothers. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I thought that was quite funny. Uh, all right. Uh, highlight number one. I think this is this is a highlight we actually came across. Uh, I think I read it out before as well. <clears throat> so uh, essentially, the backstory is uh, there's these two br- brothers. I'm, I'm not reading the highlight, by the way. This is this is my own words. Uh, the backstory is that there, there's these two brothers, Wilbur and Orville Wright, uh, and uh, they were sort of alive in the early 1900s. Uh, yeah, sort of late 1800s, early 1900s, uh, and they went off and invented an airplane. Okay, so highlight number one. Uh, is uh, years later, a friend told Orville that he and his brother would always stand as as an example of how far Americans with no special advantages could advance in the world. But it isn't true, Orville responded emphatically, to say we had no special advantages. The greatest thing in our favor was growing up in a family where there was always much encouragement to intellectual curiosity. Um, I think this is really nice. And I think actually that the story of these two is really nice as well, because they they actually weren't born into any special privilege apart from being, I don't know, just like being uh living being male up and in white like, uh yeah i guess being like white males in, in sort of america but they weren't uh, the family wasn't especially wealthy or anything like that uh it was it literally just was these two like 
these two dudes who are just like genuinely very curious about things and into making things and tinkering with things and kind of doing their own thing. Uh, and this, this, this sort of nods to intellectual curiosity uh, is kind of very linked to my whole spiel about like living intentionally and, and all the stuff that we say on this podcast about like, uh, you know, following your own yeah interest passions curiosity this is exactly what these guys did and that's and they ended up inventing the airplane and i think like most people who end up doing you know quote unquote great things it's not because they had some grand plan right from the start of like i'm going to do this then i'm going to do this then i'm going to this and then i'm going to have invented a plane it's just that they're kind of going in between different things that they enjoyed doing um and eventually it leads to something interesting uh, and, and the next highlight is actually pretty good for this. Uh, the next highlight is, is as follows. Voices were raised in protest. Bicycles were proclaimed morally hazardous. Until now, children and youth were unable to stray very far from home on foot. Now, one magazine warned, 15 minutes could put them miles away. Because of bicycles, it was said, young people were not spending the time they should with books. And more seriously, that suburban and country tours on bicycles were not infrequently accompanied by seductions. Um, so the, the, the sort of the, the backstory to this is that actually Wilbur and Orville started a bicycle shop Bef- before they got onto the airplane stuff. They were like, "Okay, this bicycle thing is pretty. <laughs> there's something here." <laughs> and they started <laughs> bikes a bike- are pretty legit, yeah. And it, yeah, they started a bike shop basically. Uh, and I, I, I think I really like this highlight because it's basically saying that like at the time when bicycles were first coming about and getting popular, a bunch of people were like saying stuff against them. Like, oh man, these kids are going to get on their bikes and they're going to be miles away in 15 minutes. You know, they're not going to be reading any books anymore. <laughs> they're going to be seduced by <laughs> by people on suburban country tours. <laughs> um, it's just like the classic sort of backlash that any new technological uh, sort of innovation has. And like we hear it all the time. Like, um, you know, uh, that, I think I mentioned this before on this podcast. There's a very good Twitter account called Pessimists Archive that sort of uh, digs up old newspaper clippings uh, from the past uh, about attitudes towards uh, sort of new technologies uh, you know, b- back in the day. Uh, and yeah, this is exactly one of them. When the bike was invented, people were like, oh, the kids aren't going to read any books anymore. When, when when like novels and stuff became mainstream, people were saying, oh, man, the kids are going to be stuck in these fantasy worlds. They're not going to live in the real world. I think like when uh, <laughs> when radio was and, and like when when TV and stuff was invented, it's like oh man, the kids are gonna yeah. It's the same. It's the same stupid thing of like oh the the damn kids and their new toy kind of thing, and like you hear it so much. And I think just like having having the historical context of just how many times the, this sort of classic backlash has played out, it really sort of uh, has helped me put things into perspective and frame yeah, kind of criticisms. Um, for what for what a lot of them really are which is just like you know damn the, these kids kind of thing you know yeah and yeah i know exactly what you mean um I, I think the the context in which i think about this the most is when it comes to social media bashing like it's all it's all it's still surprising it's surprisingly still very fashionable these days to bash social media for being you know you should cleanse social media apps off your phone and social media is making us all into this that and the other and every time i I hear seemingly kind of well-respected and intelligent people talking about that stuff. I just kind of think, okay, this is this is the radio, this is the television, this is yeah. bicycle yeah. all over again. And I really don't pay any attention at all to those sorts of things. Um, I quite like the way that uh, you know one of my one of my favorite people in the world, Gary Vaynerchuk, describes it. And he like any time he he does like Q and A sessions at conferences and keynotes and stuff he always gets you know someone being like hey gary uh, my son's spending too long on video games how do i stop him <laughs> and he's like what the hell are you doing why do you want to stop him from playing video games you realize he could be a millionaire yeah, um, yeah. but 
Yeah. I think it's good that or- Orville and Wilbur <laughs> were keen on the bicycle before inventing the aeroplane. Yeah. I, I Yeah, I think, like, I, I agree with you about the social media thing because it's such a shame because, like, whenever there's someone, like, let's say age 40 or above, who I usually find very, like, thoughtful and, and kind of uh, insightful on things, you can almost guarantee that they have, like, a vendetta against social media. And look, I think there are reasonable reasons for having a vendetta against social media. So I think, like, there there is sort of valid criticism uh, if, if you're talking about it properly. But I, yeah, I, I really do think that anyone above the age of 40 who's saying anything about social media, it's almost certainly going to be the general, like, damn these kids kind of thing. I mean, the thing is, it's it's not even people above 40 anymore. It's now people... Like a lot of people I know my age who are being like, oh, you know, uh, I don't agree with social media because this, that and the other. Uh, and that's what I find most surprising that I would uh, I would forgive, you know, a 40 year old for saying damn them kids. But it seems like people my age, you know, are now saying damn them kids as well, which I find quite sad. Huh. Yeah, to be honest, I've seen I remember I remember the first time I felt the damn these kids moment, which was I think I think around the time Snapchat came out. And I was like, I think I would I don't know, I was like, uh, I don't know, like 16, 17 or something. And I think it started off as like a, I don't know, I think more younger kids were more into it or something. And I was very much like, oh, come on. Are you serious? This is ridiculous. Kids nowadays, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> now here you are. Be like, I've just, guys, I've just discovered David Dobrik. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I'm, 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 I'm all for the kids now. Uh, anyway, let's move on to the next holiday. Sp- uh, speaking of kids, actually, uh, I had a chat with a six-year-old girl the other day. Oh, um, nice. How was it? It was very pleasant. Like I was, she, she was just like really, really confident and like kept the conversation going. And I would ask a question, and she would like, you know, she got this like gymnastics set uh, for for a house. And I just, I just kind of asked if you open a question by the way, like, oh, how long have you been doing gymnastics for? And she kind of answered the question, but then kind of elaborated on it and gave more information. I was like, damn, this is how a conversation <laughs> should be. <laughs> it was just so surprising to see such like uh, because. I don't know. It's it's been years since I've actually had a chat with a six year old for for a few minutes, and it it was delightful. So I just yeah, that was kind of nice. <laughs> what was it? Was this at the hospital? Uh, no, this was at a friend's place. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, man. I think like I say this all the time, and people make fun of me for saying it because it's like an easy joke to make of like oh ha ha. Um, but like yeah, I, I I don't think we spend enough time with kids. <laughs> I want to spend more time with kids. Like it's it's actually like great chatting to them. Um, yeah. But yeah, we we should have a kid on the podcast at some point. Uh, if you're yeah, dude, to I always and, th- and you're a kid, then get in touch. <laughs> no, <laughs> all right, no. <laughs> if I knew how to edit edit podcasts, I would cut that out. <laughs> um, but no, I always think this. Like, and I think someone, I think I saw a tweet about it where someone was like, "Man, someone should start a podcast where they just like chat to a couple of toddlers about life." And that would be amazing. I told, and there was a TV show called The Secret Life of like four-year-olds, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, something like that. Um, and it was just super interesting. So I think I think there definitely is something there. Uh, anyway, the next highlight, uh, what was the context for this? Okay, so this was sort of early on when uh, when the, the the Wright brothers had started exploring like uh, the, the airplane stuff. And they were in a, a town called Outer Banks. And, and the highlight is Outer Banks people were still pretty set in their ways. We believed in a good God, a bad devil, a hot hell, and more than anything else, we believed that the same God did not intend man should ever fly. Uh, this was just kind of like a funny framing. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was just a phrase, rather. Funny phrase. And also just like, yeah, there's like so many... I, I, thought, I think there are parallels. People say similar things of like... I guess it's kind of related to the you know discussions around like aging and stuff, where a lot of people's position is like... 
oh no man you know they don't people aren't so religious anymore so they don't say like you know god didn't intend for us to live to 150 years old or something but it's it's very much the same kind of thing of like no man that's just not the way the world is <laughs> you know we're yeah. not meant to live we're not meant to exactly. live longer than 100 and like uh, yeah and like you know obviously if we lived longer than 100 then life would lose its meaning because the meaning of life come, comes from its ephemerality or whatever yeah so yeah it's just it's funny to hear that back back in those days the like the the, the thing was that like no we weren't meant to fly and uh, i'm sure there are parallels uh today so, uh, so, so kind of on that note one thing i have been thinking about is this uh move towards libertarianism almost and i use that word not fully knowing what it means my my understanding of the word is that it's this is this kind of, but yeah because uh, basically i don't want to be one of those guys that that throws out these like political terms out there i've only recently started to understand what the left and the right means um but my understanding of libertarianism as a concept is that it's just this general idea that uh do what you want as long as you're not hurting anyone else and i feel like yeah that is the direction in which everything is moving slash has already gone gotten to and so it's it seems that there are still some aspects of uh, it's it seems like there are still some very reasonable people that would disagree with that and that and 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 who almost deride it and i don't know like anytime i have a chat with my uh with 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 friends who are very religious but have thought very hard about it and have good reasons for being very religious which is not most of my muslim friends for example who mostly would admit to being very religious because they or being somewhat religious because they were born into it and it's worked for them so far but like a lot of my like a handful of my christian friends who have actively looked into this have very well thought out arguments against this idea of libertarianism and i haven't yet it's, it's like an area of life where i need to think very hard about it it's like can you make the blanket statement that you know just do what you want as long as it doesn't hurt anyone or are there elements in which it's 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 like not a thing if you get what i mean uh yeah it's also something i i, I don't know too much about but i think there's something there and i want to look into it but yeah, it just seems like the the current like intellectual fashion is to basically approach everything in that way the the sort of way of like well if it's not hurting anybody do whatever you want kind of thing um yeah it's something i think is quite interesting it's something that, which is like very very new uh i think uh and i think if you've kind of grown up in this sort of the current sort of intellectual environment you you probably don't realize that like there are probably other valid ways to approach things uh yeah i think i think this would definitely make for a good podcast episode because you've uh, we, we were talking the other day that you've read a few of these kind of other valid ways of approaching things and i just haven't really so i have no real appreciation yeah i'm trying to, i'm trying so to I'd get be, more i'd be curious it. to hear like uh yeah yeah i find that yeah i often talk about this kind of stuff with my friends who study philosophy and that's always really interesting i think we should have one of them on and we can talk to them about it because they're actually uh, a bit more clued up um but yeah i think that would be interesting cool the next uh the next highlight is uh again just another nice uh, nice phrase really uh the orville is uh, talking about uh this new place that they've just uh gone to to like build their flyer uh flyer being uh their airplane uh, and, and the highlight is <coughs> Uh, it's just like in the north, Orville explained, where our carpenters never have their houses completed, nor the painters their houses painted. The fisherman never has any fish. <laughs> and I, I don't know, I just thought it was like a funny phrase. The fisherman never has any fish, you know? <laughs> it just, it sounds profound, you know? <laughs> like, you can just throw, you can just throw that into any situation. Like, something happens or whatever, and you're like, well, you know, you know what they say, the fisherman never has any fish. <laughs> It's, I just love, I, I don't know, I love these stupid, like, phrases. 
<laughs> okay. I'm curious as to what context you would throw out the phrase, well, you know, the fisherman doesn't have any fish. Well, no, no what, but what I'm saying is you, you could say anywhere and it would just sound kind of profound and people would be like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my God, <laughs> fisherman. <laughs> yeah. All right, next highlight. Uh, John T. Daniels, known as John T., to distinguish him from his father, who was also John Daniels. <laughs> I, don't know why I, I don't know why I highlighted that bit. <laughs> Uh, so it's, it's a nice sort of phrase, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, Mate, uh, jo- so, uh, so uh, I was I was quite excited when I heard that you had nineteen highlights here, but it seems like half of them were just <laughs> turns of phrase that you just had a little chuckle over and you decided to highlight for the sake of it, which is which, no, this, which is this, absolutely fine. This isn't one of this. So, so John John T. Daniels said later, "We couldn't help thinking they were just a pair of poor nuts. They'd stand on the beach for hours at a time, just looking at the gulls flying, soaring, dipping." Uh, so uh, this this guy John uh, John T Daniels, not to be confused with his father, who was also John Daniels, uh, he is describing uh, the the Wright brothers and saying that like yeah, we just thought they were crazy to just like stand on the beach watching the birds fly, um, and I really like this because again, I think like I, yeah, I think the common thread of what I like so much about the Wright brothers story is that they're just like so unfazed by what everyone else is doing and thinking they're just like really living ridiculously intentionally and like oh, following their intentionality, own intentionality man like it's just it's just to a ridiculous point where it's like hmm well maybe we should build an airplane i wonder what would stop us from doing that hmm, maybe we should watch the birds and see how they do it you know that kind of thing and like that's what did it man <laughs> whereas i i can imagine lots of scenarios yeah i mean i don't live that that intentionally at all and I imagine like there are lots of people currently who are definitely seen as crazy or like, oh my God, like these guys are, yeah, basically nut jobs. Um, where like, yeah, this is how it happens. If you know, being doing weird and crazy things is what leads to you know, stuff like inventing the aeroplane. Yeah, like this weekend, I've definitely been thinking that I'm not really living intentionally either. Yeah, I think like these guys were just the ultimate on, on that front. <clears throat> oh, okay, here's another one. All right, next highlight. Uh, so Kitty, uh, the context for this is that Kitty Hawk is this like place. Basically, once they decide, okay, we're going to do this airplane thing, they need like a you know open space to like build this thing and then like test it out and stuff. And so they go to this place called Kitty Hawk, uh, where they like build the first sort of test versions. Uh, so the highlight is during his first days at Kitty Hawk, Wilbur had closed a letter to his father saying it would be no great disappointment to him were he to accomplish practically nothing there. He considered it a pleasure trip. And certainly it was for both brothers to be off on their own in a setting so entirely different from any they had ever known and doing what mattered to them above all. Again, this is just like the living intentionally thing. They were like, you know, we'll go to Kitty Hawk. We'll like do this thing. They weren't like tied to the outcome. It was all about just like the journey, the process of like, you know, they're doing their own thing. They're like doing doing it in their own way. Yeah, they're just like living intentionally. And, and like, yeah, again, like inventing the airplane was not about the outcome for them. It was about like... It was about the journey. And I think that's just sick, you know? Yeah, that's very nice. Uh, okay, next highlight. Although actually, while uh, while you were telling that, um, telling the context for that particular one, I was, I, I was sort of thinking to my own life and to what extent I am kind of being outcome independent, like it seems these guys were. And I think not very, but I think that it just, like for me, it always comes down to this question of, you know, being a doctor versus you know, taking a extended break from medicine for a while because the the being a doctor thing is just so non-intentional. It's so ugh, standard. And the sort of 
I could literally do anything else as this like existential void that I know would be probably the better option. But I don't know, even as someone who, as he, as, as like, like the amount I, I read about all this sort of stuff, I still have this pull towards, oh, I should, I should be a doctor because it's just, yeah. And so <laughs> it's, always, it's always interesting to be reminded of that fact and then sort of move a little bit closer to the word towards that actually I should do what I want rather than what I you used to maybe want when I was 16. Yeah, man, dude, you should read this book. It's honestly like inspirational stuff. Look, I haven't read many books, but this, this got to be one of the coolest stories out there. Uh, yeah, I think it's very inspirational. You should read it. All right. Sold. I'll read it. Cool. The next highlight is, uh, you don't need much context for this. It's just, uh, Wilbur was at such a low point. He declared that not in a thousand years would man ever fly. Um, yeah, just like, you know, classic spiel of like ups and downs on any like endeavor, blah, blah, blah. You know, even these guys, when they were inventing the airplane, they were low points where they thought this is never going to happen kind of thing. I think, yeah, there's parallels there to, but if you try and do anything at all, you will reach this point and everyone reaches it. And it's all Yeah, good. this is quite common in the, the whole startup ecosystem as well. It's been referenced in a few podcasts I've listened to this week as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think like, I think like, yeah, a lot of what stood out to me about just their whole story in general is like all the, and maybe I'm just drawing the parallels because I'm kind of in the startup world and stuff, but there's just so many parallels to like how these guys did things and, and how people are kind of told to do things nowadays when starting companies. Uh, there'll be more about that uh, a bit later. Uh, the next highlight is the speech Wilbur delivered, modestly titled Some Aeronautical Experiments, would be quoted again and again for years to come. Uh, I think I really like this because essentially like once these guys had, had sort of um, done, you know, done the first like successful flight or whatever, they titled their speech Some Aeronautical Experiments. And that's just so cool, man. It's just so, like, understated. It, I think it really, like, sums up, yeah, just, again, that they weren't in it for, like, the external validation or anything like that. They weren't, like, you know, they could have given it some clickbait title or whatever. Um, they could have, like, made it all flashy and stuff. But they, they just weren't about that life, man. And I think that's, like, yeah, I really look up to that. And I'd like yeah, to be nice. be that kind of guy, you know. Some aeronautical experiments. All right, uh, next highlight. Meanwhile, an article in the September issue of the popular McClure's magazine, written by Simon Newcomb, a distinguished astronomer and professor at Johns Hopkins, dismissed the dream of flight as no more than a myth. And were such a machine devised, he asked, what useful purpose could it possibly serve? Uh, And he said, the first successful flyer will be the handiwork of a watchmaker and will carry nothing heavier than an insect. Um, Yeah, I think I just like this. It's classic, like, Classic, like, hater, you know, and, like, hater who's in a position of, like, authority or whatever, you know, uh, astronomer, professor at a good university, uh, writing in some popular magazine, and he's just, like, hating on this thing, saying, oh, yeah, it's never going to happen. Yeah, you might, like, fly an insect or something or whatever, right? Um, Yeah, there's always going to be haters, haters, sure. Uh, Next highlight is, I think that this is, uh, (laughs) this is more of a phrase one. (laughs) Uh, This one is... uh, it is very bad policy to ask one flying machine man about the experiments of another because every flying machine man thinks that his method is the only correct one. <laughs> I think I just <laughs> yeah. like flying machine man because like, you know, before, before it's been invented, that that's exactly what these like randos are. Like, yeah, there was a guy in France trying to invent a flying machine. <laughs> there were these two inventing a flying machine. Uh, and yeah, <laughs> bad policy to ask one flying machine man about the experiments of another. I thought that was funny. 
All right, next highlight. He possessed mental and moral qualities of the kind that influence history. When scientists in general considered it, it discreditable to work in the field of aeronautics, he possessed both the discernment to discover possibilities there and the moral courage to subject himself to the ridicule of the public and the apologies of his friends. He deserves more credit for this than he has yet received. Uh, I think this was being said of um, Wilbur and oh, of one of the two by someone else. Um, and yeah, and, and like at the time, I think when they started exploring the flying machine idea, I think it had been tried by lots of people before. It had been tried like countless times and no one had even gotten close. And it was basically concluded that it would be impossible. Um, and the, and yet these guys were giving it a go again. Uh, and yeah, this guy's just saying that like the thing that these guys really deserve credit for is, is doing that despite the fact that aeronautics was considered like a lost cause. And despite the fact that the public was ridiculing them and the fe- uh, and their friends sort of felt sorry for them. Um, and they still did it. And yeah, once again, living intentionally, do your own thing, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's nice. Sort of, that's inspirational uh, stuff. Right. Next highlight. Their patient perseverance, their calm faith in ultimate success, their mutual consideration of each other might have been considered phenomenal in any but men who were well-born and well-reared. These flights, or spurts at flying, they always made in turn. And after every trial, the two inventors, quite apart, held long and confidential consultation with always some new gain. They were getting nearer and nearer the moment when sustained flight would be made for a machine that can maintain itself aloft two minutes might just as well stay there for an hour if everything were as intended. Uh, uh, the context of this is that, like, initially, that basically their the process for developing the first flying machine was, like, classic. It's like textbook sort of lean startup, you know? It's like textbook sort of, like, iterative methodology that's sort of preached nowadays uh when like starting anything uh so essentially what they did was like uh what they did was was like figure out what sort of like the minimum what what, like the minimum viable thing was that they needed to build so like what's what's the like least amount of stuff that they can build to to like validate their idea of how to make a machine fly uh and for them it basically came down to um it basically came down to having some something like you know like wings that you could control uh in the air and what they you know they didn't like build out a whole airplane or anything before they got that bit working they they were they're really just optimized for being able to have as many tests as possible of their like wing mechanism um which is very much like i think we talked about this uh, a couple of oh, feedback ago about like yeah about uh, yeah yeah about feedback loops and like iteration cycles they they basically realized okay we just need like a really tight feedback loop around the wing mechanism because uh that's like like the thing we have to nail and once we nail that the rest is easy uh and so like they were very like methodical about it uh they'd they'd have these uh test flights where one of them would fly the thing the other one would be on the ground after each test flight they'd like sit and like discuss the experiment see what went well what went badly see what they can do to like get it in the air for longer and that's basically how they went from like flying for two minutes at a time to flying for hours at a time it's just like repeating this this sort of feedback loop of like test learn you know build repeat kind of thing build learn test repeat something like that something yeah a cycle nice <laughs> that sounds, that sounds pretty, <laughs> pretty, pretty profound it's a, it's a sort of thing you can imagine on like a business school slide deck or something like that yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, it's it's just the right way to do things. It's just, you know, it's like what every, like, startup sort of book preaches nowadays of, like, you know, find the smallest thing that you're trying to validate and, like, find a really tight uh, feedback loop to be able to test that thing and so on. Um, anyway, next highlight. 
I used to chat with them in a friendly way and was always polite to them, Beard would recall. Beard is some guy. Um, because I sort of felt sorry for them. They seemed like well-meaning, decent enough young men. Yet they, there they were, neglecting their business to waste their time day after day on that ridiculous flying machine. Um, so this this guy, Beard, um, used to like know them uh, back when they're doing their stuff. And, and yeah, they, they neglected their bicycle... <coughs> their- bicycle business to do the flying machine uh and the business was going quite well and they would have made decent amount of money from it uh but they kind of like said all right that's not that interesting uh we have this idea let's let's go and do it and yeah this guy was saying that yeah he felt sorry for them he thought they were insane to leave their booming business to build some stupid flying machine and they still did it and yeah i think in lots of things that is how people will see you and you just got to do it anyway i think it was similar for like your youtube thing right like i think yeah, we talked about this on episode two where we talked about how you got started and stuff and like putting yourself out there in general. Uh, and yeah, I think you, I think a lot of your sort of friends and, and sort of acquaintances would have kind of thought you were a bit ridiculous. I'm like, oh my God, what is Ali doing? Put the camera away. Maybe they felt sorry for you of like, oh man, this guy, I wonder I wonder what what's messed up in him that he like wants all this attention and stuff. Yeah, but you, you, know, you just got to do it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I... Uh, I'm always wary of kind of uh, putting uh, uh, putting in my my voice to agree with this sort of stuff because it feels very. It feels like you're thinking more survivor's about survivor's bias. Oh, okay. uh, and 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 also it feels like I'm sort of retrofitting kind of my life to this. I'm thinking like, oh yes, that's how it worked. Um, but yeah, I yeah, I mean, it's it's basically that you know. Uh, I like Paul Graham's way of. It's program Sam on one of these guys that says that um, if a lot of people, if, if if people in general don't think you're a bit weird, you're probably living life wrong. Yeah, I think lots of people have started to say that now. I think Patrick Collison in particular. I think uh, we had a whole podcast episode about it. Um, yeah. Oh, do we? Yeah, dude. On being weird. Yeah, dude. I feel like I vaguely remember this. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Next highlight. Writing his autobiography later, James Cox, publisher of the Dayton Daily News, remembered reports coming to coming to our office that the airship had been in the air over the Huffman Prairie, but our news staff would not believe the stories, nor did they ever take the pains to go out to sea. So basically, like, once they got the thing working, they were like, all right, let's 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 tell some people about it. They wrote to the local newspaper saying, uh, hey, we, we, uh, we got the flying machine working. Uh, do you want to check it out? And, and basically, no one believed them. <laughs> <laughs> like for ages no one actually believed them and no one would even bother to go and see if they were like legit or not uh because it just yeah it was just so unbelievable um but yeah they did it um yeah it's just really funny that people actually did not believe them when they said they did it yeah and actually and and that to the point where they wouldn't even bother and go to, to go and verify that it's just like yeah no yeah. it can't be done <laughs> um yeah but these guys were just legends all right next uh next highlight in spite of these sarcastic remarks and the mockery, in spite of the traps set up from everywhere all these years, he has not faltered. He is sure of himself, of his genius, and he kept his secret. Uh, I think this is describing one of the brothers. Yeah, just like intent, living intentionally, doing your own thing, not worrying what other people are saying or doing or thinking. Yeah, classic stuff. Cool. Um, <clears throat> ah, this is a good one. All right, this is a highlight. It was a highly significant fact that until the rights succeeded... Uh, the rights being the brothers. Uh, all attempts at flight with heavier-than-air machines were dismal failures. But since they showed that the thing could be done, everybody seems to be able to do it. Uh, and basically, the context of this is like after they became known as like, oh my god, these guys, you know, have flown, have like made a flying machine. 
uh, you know, the news spread to France in particular, which was like the other sort of competitor in terms of like having the first flying machine. But basically, once these guys managed it, a ton of people very shortly after managed it too. Um, and like uh, e- even people who, and it's not like they managed it because like the Wright brothers gave away their secret or whatever, like, oh, this is how we did it. Here is how you make a flying machine. They didn't do that at all. Um, well, not really. Um, other people just managed it because now they knew it was possible. And this this sort of reminded me of another thing, which I find really profound, uh, which was that <clears throat> before, uh, basically, before the first guy ran uh, the first four-minute mile, uh, Roger, Roger Bannister. Bannister. Yeah, before he ran a four-minute mile, which is the fastest anyone had ever run a mile, it was it was another thing of like people thought it was impossible. There's no way people can do this. But all of a sudden, after he did it, people started doing it all the time. Like kids do it nowadays. Malcolm Gladwell has a good, uh, very short sort of piece in the New Yorker about this. Um, yeah, I think it's just like profound, and it's something I often think a lot about of like how how like what we think or our ex- expectations of what's possible and how you know what's achievable is just so, so dependent on what's around us. And it's, I, I think it's a massive sort of blocking factor in stopping people from, you know, doing things faster, doing things better, doing new things. Yeah, I, uh, I've, I, I've been sort of thinking about this recently. Um, the scenario that comes to mind is, 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 is totally random, but I want to share this and, and then I'll come back to my main point. But uh, back when I was in my, in, in, in my heyday of, of World of Warcraft, uh, there was a, a particular raid called uh, uh, called Ulduar. I don't know if you remember that, if, if that was a yeah, raid you ever did, with, like the Flame Leviathan and like Mimiron and all these bosses. And yeah. the, the final boss was called uh, Yog saron who was this like old god tentacle sort of guy. And there was a special achievement for killing him without the aid of any of the four like other Norse gods or whatever the mythology of it was based around. And that was like the achievement that all of the guilds or like all of the pro gaming guilds in the world were trying to get. And people had done all these calculations being like, oh, well, you know, physically it's impossible because the boss has so many health points and it's physically impossible for anyone to do this much damage per second and you'll need all this stuff. And people had done all these long ass calculations about how it was physically impossible (laughs) to do this thing. And then, you know, a few weeks later, some Chinese guild managed it and everyone was like, oh, my God. And then suddenly everyone started doing it. <laughs> yeah. And nothing else had changed other than the fact that, you know, as, as soon as one person shows it's possible, then then it's doable. And the reason I've been thinking about this is partly is partly relates to the the the, the kind of uh, semi-ironic moan that I was having at the start of this episode where I was complaining about how many hours I'm having to work. Because... Back in the day, if when it came to doing the YouTube stuff alongside kind of med- medical school slash work, I didn't really give it a second thought. It was just like, yeah, this is how it is. But now that like, I feel like now I hold myself back a little bit more than I used to because I think, you know, I'm working a full time job and, you know, being a YouTuber, um, once you hit a certain level of whatever is is also a full time job. So the way I think of it in my head is that, oh, I'm kind of working two jobs. And then I've got this like supervising thing on the side of that, which is like another sort of part-time job alongside. And the way I'm considering it in my head is that I'm almost like I'm putting all these limitations on myself that, oh, okay, you know, oh, it's 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 gotten to 11 p.m. now. And I, and, and therefore, because I'm working two jobs in this part-time job, I, I feel justified in not doing anything tonight and just going to sleep. And I don't know, I think there's definitely a balance to be, to, to, to be struck here. Like, I don't want to chronically sleep deprive myself, but I think back when I just didn't consider it a big deal at all, uh, I was definitely, I definitely got a lot more done. Do you, do you see what I mean? 
Yeah, yeah, I see exactly what you mean. And yeah, I, this is something I think. It's like it's a it's like a reassuring thought and a scary thought that like, I, yeah, I, basically like the thing you're saying about putting limitations on yourself. Like it, it's scary to think that like I, every one of us is sort of implicitly doing that in almost every aspect of our lives. But it's also cool to think that like you know once we once we take the ankle weights off, I'll explain the the reference. Uh, there's a great anime called Naruto, uh, and there's a character in Naruto called Rock Lee, and basically. He always trains with uh, with weights on his wrists and his ankles. Uh, so whenever he's training, he's like basically held back by these weights, uh, and it kind of means that like you know his muscles sort of uh, are really strong and stuff because he's used to training with these weights. And so there is a point in a fight against a guy where he he basically doesn't take these weights off, and he's still really good. And then this guy is literally about to kill him, and then he's like, "All right, it's time to take the weights off." And then he takes them off, and it's absolutely sick. It's like the sickest fight. Um, and so yeah. I, I often think that like we're probably all wearing these weights in so many different ways. And if we can only just like see them and take them off, that would be pretty sick. Um, and yeah, I think a lot of the time what it takes is for someone else to do something. And then it's like, whoa, you can actually do that. Um, and yeah, I mean, the context in which I always think about this in my sort of day to day work is like, how could we be, how could we, we be like twice as fast or twice as good? Because I think there's like, just by like looking at other people around you, there is an implicit like <clears throat> normal pace of doing things. You know, uh, you know, it takes this this amount of time to study all the subjects to do your GCSE exams, and then it takes this amount of time to you know do your A levels and whatever. Um, and I think I think that's actually a very individual thing, and a lot of people could do that a lot quicker. I'm sure uh, some people it takes longer. And yeah, I always feel like I imagine that our our company is held back by the implicit normal rate of doing things that other people kind of see. And actually, I don't mean to blow blow our own trumpet here, but I think I think one of the nice things about kind of being in the UK and kind of being slightly disconnected from the sort of Silicon Valley ecosystem uh, is that we're kind of we kind of less exposed to what other people are up to. And so uh there's been a few moments where we've had, you know, we've like been working on the product for like a few weeks or a couple of months or something and internally we kind of feel like oh man like we're we're not being that productive at all we could be doing so much more like we're being really slow about this thing and then we'll when we'll like ship some updates or whatever occasionally like one of our investors or one of our users will be like whoa you you guys are unbelievable like the pace of the pace of development is insane like you guys are yeah <laughs> and it, it, it's it, it's nice because it's like oh okay that i guess that's the normal bar or something and we're doing okay but like internally we know we could be honestly a lot of the time twice as twice as good twice as fast and so it's just about like figuring out how to unblock yourself mentally to to be able to do that oh so it's interesting that you think about it in terms of 2x because uh i I guess you're familiar i think is it peter Thiel's thing in zero to one where he says that you know uh everyone has like a vague sense of where they want to be in 10 years time and and if you don't then think about where you want to be in 10 years time but then in the next step think about how you can get there in the next six months and just yeah. that sort of like massive acceleration of it just like even as a thought experiment like obviously in a lot of cases it wouldn't be possible to do it in six months but what if you yeah. could you know what would you have to change how would you have to think about it differently um and yeah. there's a quote that i came across in november last year that really stuck stuck with me for for the youtube channel and growth front and it was it, it was in the context of growing a business actually um but a lot of the the, the lessons from growing a business a business can be applied to growing a youtube channel and it said something like um you know in your heart that you can 
pretty much be twice as big as you currently are, just sort of doing the same things. But in order to be 10x bigger than you currently are, you're going to have to make some serious changes. Uh, that, that, that was like the essence of the quote. And when I read that, I was like, yeah. oh, damn, that's that's actually so true. Like, I, at, at the time, I think I was on like, I don't know, 300,000 subscribers or something. And I was like, okay, I can... Oh no, no! I think I was at like like close to half a million. I was like, okay, cool. Oh, I, I'll I'll be able to get to a million subscribers just by doing what I'm already doing, and that felt like really really great. But then I was thinking, no, hang on. What if I want to get to like five million subscribers? Like it it it's, it would be completely impossible. But like if that was the aim, then what would it take to get there, and how could I kind of move in that direction? And so yeah. that is one thing that I've I've started to think about more more carefully whenever I'm setting. Even though I'm not a fan of setting goals, I like thinking, okay, what's What's like the 10x goal here? And yeah. is there anything I can do to kind of move more towards that rather than to be stuck in sort of 2x levels of thinking? Yeah. <coughs> yeah, I think that's uh, I think that that's a good exercise. Um, yeah, how could I how could I like do this thing 10 times quicker or something? Yeah, and actually, uh, uh, on on this note, I was, uh, I was having a chat over the phone with an A-level student yesterday. He was studying like philosophy, politics, and uh, what was it? English literature. Um, and oh, so psychology politics and english english literature and is he, he he came up with a classic line that i've heard so often which is there's just so much content and it, it's it seemed like the way he was working was that he was he was putting these ankle weights on himself like he was painstakingly writing out his own notes he was kind of doing all sorts of things and then i i was just sort of asking asking that you know it uh, why is it so hard like have you got friends in the year above who got a stars in all those subjects and he was like yeah and i was like okay why don't you use their notes and he was like Oh my god! Yeah, you're right. I could totally use their notes, and it just seemed like such an obvious thing for me. And it was he was just clearly hadn't hadn't thought about that, and it kind of made me think that you know before chatting to this guy, I just thought, what possible advice could I, could I possibly give that would be actually actually valuable? But just I think opening people's eyes to the possibility that there are easier ways of, of going about things rather than the standard way, because I guess implicitly the standard way that we we know to study is doing what all our friends are doing which is you know writing out your notes and highlighting them and kind of doing your own work but the nice thing i found when i got to university was that the implicit assumption amongst my asian friends was that obviously you were going to get essays from the people in the year above and that massively supercharges your kind of the speed at which you can get stuff done and i i, I wonder if there are more aspects of our lives where we can kind of find these shortcuts rather than going by the default route of you know thinking that we have to do it the standard way yeah, exactly. I think the stand. Yeah, <clears throat> there's like there's like an implicit standard way in everything, and there's there are almost certainly hacks like taking the person in the year above's notes uh, that we can do in lots of other parts of our lives. Oh, yeah. On that on that note, actually, the, it seems like we're we're talking about this point a lot, but oh well. Um, my uh, friend uh, Derek Sivers, uh, who uh, is is amazing, uh, he has a really good kind of story that he tells which is that he went to Berkeley College of Music, Berkeley School of Music, you know, that that famous music school in, in America. Um, but he found some like piano jazz musician teacher or something who said, you know, I'll, I'll teach you, come to my house at seven o'clock the next morning. And he went to the guy's house at seven o'clock the next morning. And he said that, you know, I'm going to enroll in this four-year program in Berkeley College of Music. And the guy was like, why is it going to take you four years? And he was like, oh, well, you know, it's Berkeley. It's like the hardest music school in the country. Of course, it's going to take four years. And the guy said that, no, four years is the standard pace and the standard pace is for chumps. Uh, essentially, the point being that the college has to essentially cater to the lowest common denominator in setting it as being a four-year target. And so this guy managed to finish it in like a year or two, just kind of doing stuff much more efficiently than the standard pace would allow. 
And I think that's just yeah. quite a nice story. And that's a story that he often tells as being an example of how the standard paces for chumps, you can always figure out shortcuts to kind of get to something quicker if, if that's what you really want to do. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Just to, just to round off this point, I think the, I think oftentimes, this isn't really applicable to the Wright Brothers stuff, but oftentimes the thing that holds, I find sort of holds me back is I get caught up in kind of going through the motions and getting caught up in like the sort of, the getting caught up in like the the sort of the work uh without thinking too much uh, without thinking enough about like the bigger picture stuff so you know when i, I imagine when like the student you're talking about sits down it's like oh okay i need to i need to do like three hours of work this evening to revise for my exams or something or right, i better 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 do some work and like work is you know looks like sitting down writing stuff highlighting stuff that's what work looks like right and so you kind of start going through the motions because that's what work is to you and that's what work feels like and that's what it, it, it kind of looks like and you start doing that uh whereas it's it's useful to break out of the sort of day-to-day going through the motions and think bigger picture of like okay what how should i actually be doing this kind of thing yes i agree and just to round that off even further uh there is um there was a a quote or a tweet or something from james clear this week that i thought was very was very good i think it was part of his weekly email newsletter and his his thing was that um he said that before you get started imagine that everyone else is oh, hang on I'm, I'm trying to think about it. he said that he said that before you get started imagine that everyone else is really dumb and hard working and therefore to beat them you have to outthink them you have to outsmart them you have to kind of work smarter but then once you get started and once you've decided that then once you get started imagine everyone else is significantly smarter than you and the only way to beat them is to work a lot harder than them and I, I thought that was like a nice way of framing it. I mean, ap- apart from the fact that it's framed as a competition, which I just don't like in general, I thought that was a good way of, th- of of doing it. That you know, when you're setting your strategy, think really, really smart in terms of the most efficient way of doing it. And then once you're doing it, then just sort of turn on the gas. Yeah, yeah, I remember seeing that, and I quite liked it. Cool. Uh, last couple of highlights. Uh, this one is something I don't, I don't really. I don't know if I agree with it. I just thought it sounded. I, I think it was an interesting take, a hot take, if you will. It would be a good tweet if. Uh, if Wilbur was alive today, <coughs> uh, the highlight is all the money anyone needs is just enough to prevent one from being a burden to others. Um, yeah, that was one of their takes on money. I think it was one of the brothers. Um, and the final highlight is on July 20th, 1969, when Neil Armstrong, another American born and raised in southwestern Ohio, stepped onto the moon. He carried with him, in tribute to the Wright brothers, a small swatch of the muslin from a wing of their 1903 flyer. And I thought that was just like quite cool. Yeah. The sort of the legacy, the, the flight nice, legacy. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff, man. Uh, and yeah, that's the book. Uh, I think it's really good. I think everyone should read it. Uh, it. It really is just like a really inspirational story that has lots of parallels to the things people try and do today. Uh, and it's like very approachable. Look, I suck at reading and I managed to read this thing. The thing that caught me out was that I was reading it on Kindle and I thought at one point I was 60% through because it said I was 60% through. I was actually like 95% through at that point. It's just that there's a lot of like references at the end uh, that take up a lot of pages. So like it's a lot shorter book than you think. And it's just, yeah, just a great, great story, man. Okay. Well, thank you very much for sharing. Uh, I will actually read this. This is sounding like a pretty good book, although I feel like we, we got most of the highlights from this conversation. Or is there like, do you think beyond this conversation, if anyone's listening to this, Will this list will, will this podcast suffice, or should they actually read the book? Nah, dude, read the book. Like the podcast is some, like a couple of 
tech bros insights on like <laughs> this the story but like it's just an amazing story yeah read the book all right fair enough but then like on that note th- there was a point that they made in the latest episode of in one of the le- one of the recent episodes of bookworm which is another very good podcast where they discuss books uh i should say which is a very good <laughs> podcast where they discuss books rather than another very good podcast um and they said that it sort of depends on uh, like the uh, book rec- recommendations kind of depend on where you are in terms of the reading thing like if you read a book every week then it's not too much hassle for you to read another book that someone's recommended but if you read three yeah. books a year then it's a really big yeah. deal deciding which books you're going to you're going to read that year so where do you yeah. think that because like obviously for me i like to think i read a lot so it's fairly trivial for me to read this book but for someone who reads maybe two or three books a year would this fall on your yeah. list of recommended books yeah, I, I've often actually thought about the same thing because, like, you know, for a, a lot of the past few years, everyone's always like, "Oh man, this is a great book; you should read it." And I, and I'm uh, externally, I'm like, "Oh, cool, yeah, I'll check it out. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for the recommendation, man." Um, but then internally, I'm like, "Bro, <laughs> for me to read this book, Bro, this I haven't even read the- Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> this would be my book of the year. This would be, <laughs> you know, it's no small thing to recommend me a book. <laughs> by the way." Uh, yeah, look, I don't know. I don't know how much people read. I don't read an awful lot. I think this was a nice book because it, it's like a story. Uh, I usually read a lot of like nonfiction stuff. And uh, this was like a nice story. Like it, it feels very much like a story. And like, it's it's just so, it's just so cool, man. You know, like it happened not too long ago, a hundred and a bit years ago. It's changed the world. Like it's a massive turning point in history. It's, you know, you, you fly around in planes and stuff from time to time. I think it makes the world a lot more meaningful. If you know, like, stuff, you know, if you know the story behind things like airplanes and stuff and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Fair I enough. think it's great. I'm sold. I'll read it. Yeah. Right. Let's wrap up. Cool. Uh, do you have any insights of the week? I've got an insight while you, while you think of one. And that is that in preparation for this fella coming over to my place tomorrow to film an apartment tour, I decided to clean my room. And then, like, I was, it's, it's just so nice. It's, it's so nice when your room is clean. It's absolutely incredible. <laughs> and, like... I had uh, I I got some books uh, from Amazon which were actually only available in hardback and not even on Kindle. There was one called The Entrepreneur's Roller Coaster, um, and there's one called Make Time that I wanted in physical copy anyway. And I just had had to have, have like three hardback books just on a on like the dresser, and it just looks so nice. And I just walked into my room after work today and thought, oh, this is so pleasant and so nice because it's clean. And so this has really really given me a you know a. a, a uh, a nod to Jordan Peterson's sort of second rule of life or whatever it is that clean your room. <laughs> it actually does make a difference when you, when you clean your room. Yeah, it makes a massive difference. Yeah, I think uh, environment matters. I'm, I'm, yeah. I think different people are, are sensitive to aesthetics uh, at, at varying degrees. I think, yeah, I, th- I think cleaning, having a clean room certainly affects me. It seems like it affects you. I think clean room plus warm lighting. Warm lighting is really important as well at nighttime. Yeah. I had this insight in like first year. I was like, oh my God, lamps are the best thing ever. Cool. Uh, my insight is uh, is actually, a, it's a book recommendation. I'm really, actually no, my insight is like a thing about how I read books now. Because look, we, we all know I suck at reading books. I've never really been reading books. But for the past few months, I have a book reading strategy is a bit excessive because like it wasn't that intentional. But like I, I, I've fallen into a good way to read books, which is that I buy new books on Kindle like all the time. Like if I if I come across like a book and it sounds interesting, I just get it on my Kindle. And then at any one point in time, I'm kind of in the process of reading about five or six different books. And so whenever whenever I have you know if I'm in bed, I read. 
Uh, these days I read on my on, on the tube and stuff. And like whenever I sit down and have some time to read, whatever mood I'm in, I have a book in my Kindle thing that I'm in the middle of reading that kind of fits the mood. And sometimes I'll be in the mood for like, uh, you know, a startup lore. Actually, it's, it's very rarely that I'm in the mood for startup yeah. lore and I should be more in the mood for it because I think I could gain something from some of these books. Um, but like uh, I, I'm reading a book right now called uh, The Art of Gathering, How We Meet and Why It Matters. Uh, this is be- this book, like I- I'm like I'm like one chapter into it or something and I've like highlighted half the damn book. It's just so good. And it, like it... It's uncanny how in line it is with like a lot of the a lot of the crap that I've spouted on this podcast about like socializing and stuff. It's brilliant. Once once I finish reading this, we're going to do a whole episode on it. Um, yeah, basically reading lots of books simultaneously. So there's always like a book that I'm in the mood to read, and if one gets kind of boring for a bit, you can kind of switch to another one. Um, yeah, it's really working for me. I think nice. That incidentally is very common advice. I mean, the in the world of productivity gurus, I don't know if you if you came across it or did you just stumble upon the idea and just happen to fall into it. No, I just stumbled upon it. Oh, yeah, but I mean, a lot a, a lot of people recommend it, so you're on the right on the right track. It seems nice. Uh, let me just read a review and then we can call it quits. No, it's midnight, and then I've got to spend an hour writing my email newsletter. Guys, please, if you if if you listen to it this far, please subscribe to my weekly email newsletter. Go to email.aliabdal.com. Link in the show notes, and uh, yeah, you can <laughs> you can see what I try and come up with in the next half an hour. Well, this week's review comes from <clears throat> Doctor Scene uh, from the United States of America. Uh, the review is titled "Great Motivation," uh, and the comment is "Love how it's very spontaneous and strangely funny." Exclamation mark! Exclamation mark! Exclamation mark! That's a nice review. So thank you for thank you to Doctor Scene. But I've noticed a bit of a trend where a lot of reviews are like. They're like, oh, it's a really good podcast. It's, it's really, it's surprisingly really funny. <laughs> like, I don't know. There's uh, a lot of like surprise. <laughs> oh, that, you know, okay. That the, so I don't know what's surprising, basically. So I think it is surprising. But, 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 uh, the way that Darren Brown uh, talks about this, he's a, a famous like magician, illusionist, hypnotist guy based in the UK, but he's now kind of big in America these days through a Netflix series. Um, he, t- he, t- he talks about this... Um, in some like random podcast, random interview. And he, he says that like, you know, you, you and I have been to his shows and they are quite funny. Like it's really funny when he busts out like a, a decent one liner. Yeah. And what he says is that, you know, a big part of humor is about the, the expectation. And when you go to a Darren Brown show, you're expecting to see a magic slash psychology slash hypnosis show. You're not expecting yeah. it to be funny. And therefore when he's funny, it's like, Oh, that, that just adds so much to the other thing, because like, Oh my God, he's funny as well. <laughs> and, and that's where you yeah, tell the story, yeah. <laughs> and I and I like to think that's kind of the case with this. That you know, people are not are not expect it's 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 not like you know you're Conan O'Brien and I'm like Joe Rogan or anything. You know, it's yeah these two rich nerds talking or whatever that that reviewer said. Um, and and therefore, if there's if there's a bit of banter in there, then then why not? Yeah, I think the element of surprise is a big one. And man, I feel like we just keep dragging this like. Every time, like, one of us is like, okay, just to finish things off, then the other one will be like, oh, yeah, just on that point. And yeah, so just on that point, <laughs> I, I, I have long thought this thing about the surprise thing. And actually, whenever I find that, like, when I'm hanging out, when one of my friends who speaks English as a native language, when they make a joke or something, I think the bar is a lot higher than when uh, one of my friends for whom English is a second language makes a joke. So, for example, 
if Lucas, my co-founder, he's German, if he makes if he makes a good joke in English, like the bar the bar for me to find that joke funny is a lot lower than like if you made a joke. And like when Adrian, my French friend, makes a good joke in English, the bar is a lot lower <laughs> than like uh, you know if uh, yeah yeah it, yeah it just it just be like that. It'd just be like that. And actually, on that on that point, just one final oh, thing. <laughs> I want to sleep. Um, after you recommended uh, Conan Needs a Friend, that podcast, I was, friend, I, was, yeah. I was listening to it for a few days and really kind of analyzing the, the sort of funny bits in it. And yeah. it really was a case of like, like one of the most reliable methods for, for the humor was to say something and then have a very surprising climax to it or like finale or like ending to it that you they just weren't expecting and i i kind of wish i did i i could do more of that because my like very much my my default frame of mind is to just kind of play it straight down the pitch as it were whereas i want to move my default frame of mind more to the direction whereby you know i think to come up with some kind of funny slash surprising way to do stuff when i'm when I'm when I'm not in the mood, like for it to become more of like a uh, um, a natural thing, yeah, a natural thing. Do you remember any? I'm not sure what you're referring to in the podcast. To be honest, do you remember any particular things you said? Uh, so one example which illustrates this point badly, but I think still still, still illustrates it, is that he. I think at, at one point he was talking about how uh, he's 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 gearing up to tell a story about when he was. Uh, a young, uh, a young, innocent, well-meaning seven-year-old boy, and he says, you know, so uh, a few years ago, when I was a young, uh, well-meaning, uh, innocent seven-year-old girl, uh, and he continues going like that. Anyway, anyway, it was just so funny, <laughs> and it's just such an easy, yeah, such yeah, an yeah. easy thing to do because you just think, right, what's the next word I want to say, and let me just substitute that for something more surprising, and then bang you get a laugh yeah. <laughs> and it was it was delightful and he just launched into a story and it was I, that, that was one example that made me think damn this guy's good yeah conan's fantastic yeah everyone should listen to conan o'brien needs a friend uh right we better actually end it there um thank you for listening follow us on twitter at n overthinking uh, overthinking uh to hear about when we're about to post an episode uh and we'll see you next week bye-bye